This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast, a podcast with a worldwide listenership that explores the broad world of preservation from every angle, from drones to mudlarking and everything in between. Now, let's get preserving. What is smart growth and why should preservationists care about it? On this week's PreserveCast, we're talking with David Adler, an asset manager from David S. Brown Enterprises, about transit-oriented development, incentives for smart growth, and how historic preservationists can incentivize better growth in their own communities. All that and more as we push the boundaries of preservation on this week's PreserveCast. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast. And today we're excited to have a slightly different conversation than we have uh, before. We're going to start talking a little bit about smart growth and how that dovetails with the world of historic preservation and preserving open places. And we're going to be talking with David Adler, an asset manager from David S. Brown here in the state of Maryland, uh, David S. Brown Enterprises. And uh, we're going to be talking about some projects that they do and, and how it all kind of comes together. Um, so b- before we get there, David, it's great to have you on today. Talk to us a little bit about yourself. People like to get to know our guests. Where'd you grow up and how does someone get involved in real estate development? Thanks, Nick. So I grew up in Owings Mills, Maryland, uh, in Baltimore County, and I have uh, lived here for my entire life. I did not go too far to co- for college. I went to College Park uh, University of Maryland, and I have pretty much wanted to be in real estate development since I was a very little kid. My grandfather, who was actually the president of David S. Brown Enterprises, from the minute I can remember uh, memories as a kid. We were out on job sites and backhoes and dumpsters and in a Jeep driving around. And I always was fascinated by how things were built and how land was changed and how buildings were constructed and then eventually turned into you know beautiful properties that were, whether it's lived in, whether they were shopped at or whether they were visited by you know people visiting offices. And so from an early age, I always really loved... Uh, the idea of real estate. And then as I kind of grew up and got through uh, middle school and high school, I then started to understand, you know, what real estate development is and how the process gets started and then how you get it to the final goal, which is be able to build, you know, a community or an office building or a strip center or a large box such as a Walmart or um, a Best Buy. And from all that to college, I went to college and I interned Every summer, I worked uh, for David S. Brown, and we um, are a full-service company. So it was great because I kind of got to understand all facets of real estate development, construction, management, and you know that's that's pretty much the story of how you know the second the second I got out of college, I rushed to work, and I you know started working for uh, my grandfather and David S. Brown Enterprises. So. Um... Let's let's talk a little bit um, about transit-oriented development. And before we even get into a project that you're working on where we can kind of like dive into this, people listening might be like, well, why is a preservation podcast talking about this? But transit-oriented development is an opportunity for us. I mean, you, I'd like you to define it, but it, it's an opportunity for the preservation community to preserve you know, large open spaces by clustering development in some ways. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're going to continue to grow as a country. And so how do we make sure that we preserve the places that matter and grow in places that are sort of smart? And that's a piece of the smart growth puzzle that is, you know, part and parcel with the way preservation, whether it be landscape preservation or historic preservationists work. So from your perspective, you know, talk to us about transit-oriented development. What is it? 
how does it work um, and why should the preservation community, whether they be land preservation or, or again, you know, downtown historic preservation, care about this kind of development work? Yeah, so so for us, for, uh, we, we, we uh, a lot of times get, uh, we say TOD, and just like you were saying, maybe a lot of the listeners don't understand what a transit-oriented development is. We hear it all the time because we understand it, but we also know a lot, uh, a lot we have to do is educate people on what it is. So really how, how we kind of define it is it really is a urban-suburban place that is designed to bring people, activities, buildings, public spaces together. All that is, you know, walkable, that's, that has cycling, and that obviously has, you know, the, the, the transit and the rail system connected to it. And so, you know, for us, over the past, you know, five, 10 years, we've seen from going to doing, you know, regular mixed use, which is, you know, buildings with a surface parking lot in the middle of nowhere, you know, we've really 100% have targeted our Metro Center project, which is a TOD, because it is right on the Metro line for Baltimore County that goes from Baltimore County to Baltimore City. And so to come back to the TOD, we kind of look at it on a multiple of sectors, which is the walk, the cycle, the connect, the transit, the mix, the density, and then, you know, the smart growth and the uh, environmental uh, uh, environmental friendliness of these types of developments. And so it kind of has everything that you want in a community, not only from the building of the community, but from the actual living, working, uh, living and playing in that community. And so they happen all around the country. Have you guys done one before this project that you're currently working on? And what are the yes. sort of the, the pitfalls with these? Yeah, so so interestingly enough, you know, I think I think it, as a country as a whole, I think there are some great states that are really taking advantage of the transit systems that they have. And they're, you know, really pushing for high density TOD development in those areas for Maryland and Baltimore specific. Uh, we actually have done the only transit-oriented development in Baltimore City, which is Symphony Center, which is right next to the Meyerhoff, and that is directly on the light rail line in Baltimore City. And so that was our first kind of foray into it. But back then, you know, really TODs were were barely even a, a type of development. It was just, you know, the allure of building right on a transit line. And now, you know, as we've kind of grown out at Metro Center in Owings Mills, we've really taken on the full definition of what a transit-oriented development is and have tried to build it exactly the way that, you know, we envision what a successful uh, TOD should be for the county and for, honestly, the whole state of Maryland to look at and say, hey, this is the way to really do smart development and smart growth, you know, in suburban and even urban communities. And so... Talk to me about, um, you know, people talk a lot about like the missing middle and sort of like having a diversity of housing. Is that a component of this? And I'm curious how that how that plays into getting these permitted as well. There is not, you know, Baltimore County, I think, is finally just getting to the forefront of, you know, the mixed income approach on housing. Obviously, I think D.C., Montgomery County. And some and some other counties around have got into that uh, area. It has not yet hit Baltimore County, but it's definitely in the process, and we are definitely going to take a look at it because you know these communities are so highly 
high, have such high density with the amount of units that we want to put into them, in addition to the retail, the office, and the hospitality, that it does make for a really great possible uh, connection and uh, partnership for that type of housing. So it's interesting that you know you, you you mentioned you know kind of doing big box and how the development work has pivoted to this kind of work um i'm curious you know when you think about um development work now um is it is is what what has 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 kind of um caused the transition to this focus on sort of targeted development in and around um, existing transit centers, is it that sprawl development, you know, and that's sort of a, a pejorative term, but but the kind of development that sprawls out into old farm fields and stuff like that, is it less uh, desirable for buyers? Is it too difficult to permit? Is it too expensive? Is this because, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to dollars and cents. And I think a lot of people listening are like, how do we encourage developers to do the kind of development work that we want? We don't want every farm field in Baltimore County or wherever they're listening to turn into, you know, sprawl. And so what is it that that makes this, you know, why 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 have you guys kind of looked at it from this perspective? Because I think that that's interesting for people listening to think about how they kind of speak developer. Yeah, so I think I think it's I think it's for us it's it, it, it seemed very natural. I think overall it's a very it, it's a complex uh, uh, I would say uh, problem that people are still figuring out. Is you know for for TODs you know it's really about you know getting the most out of a really small site, right? And most of the time we're fitting so much density right around a transit station or you know right around a, a, a highway line or a ramp or something like that. And so most most developers, I think, go out right now and they're trying to find land. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of great land available to where, you know, the people are, to where the businesses are. And so I think that, you know, part of the TOD and part of, you know, looking at these mixed-use projects is really to align, you know, where you can see the potential to really create the most density for all the types of uses that I kind of went into earlier, which is the whole, you know, walkable, the the transit, the mixed use of, you know, office, residential, retail, hospitality. You know, I say to people all the time where, you know, for me, if I'm going to go somewhere during the day, you know, do I want to go to just an office building in the in the middle of an office park, which, you know, is kind of not, I wouldn't say it's not so populated. It's just the people going to the office where I want to go to an office where I've got restaurants I can go to. I got I see people walking around constantly. You know, one it's a, it's also a, a safe feeling when you kind of go to these mixed use TODs because it's a true twenty four seven you know lot uh, livable workable community. You know, whereas you go to a retail strip, the retail strip starts at twelve o'clock and then it ends at you know seven or eight o'clock. You know, but for these mixed use TODs, it's constantly trafficked by all types of people, whether it's the walkable, whether it's the driving through, people getting on the transit, the residents walking through the community and everything else. So I think I think it's a uh, it, it's just a lot. You know, I think to, to to put all that types of use into a development, you know, it takes somebody that has the expertise to do all those types of use. And a lot of the times people just have one expertise. It's you have a multifamily developer, you have a developer that does office buildings. You have a developer that does your strip retail, you know, and your big boxes. 
And so finding somebody that can put all of those pieces together and actually see it through, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it is tough. And that's why I think, you know, you only see them, you know, so much right now. So let's take a quick break, come back and talk about if people want to kind of incentivize these in their communities, what they can do and where you're at on this project and sort of think through the future of these sorts of things. And we'll do that right here in PreserveCast. Historic preservation can't happen without skilled tradespeople to perform the work. And there's a critical need right now for those tradespeople. The Campaign for Historic Trades, powered by Preservation Maryland, is working to meet that need by strengthening apprenticeship opportunities within historic trades. In partnership with the National Park Service's Historic Preservation Training Center and Conservation Legacy, the campaign is currently recruiting for NPS Traditional Trades Apprenticeship Program, or TTAP. TTAP's an intensive 20-week apprenticeship that provides young adults the chance to learn historic trade skills while working on America's most iconic historic sites. Multiple positions are open for the 2022 season at national parks across the country. Visit historictrades.org for more information on TTAP and how to apply today. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast. Today, we're joined by David Adler, an asset manager from David S. Brown Enterprises. And we've been talking about work that they're doing, kind of using an example um, in um, Baltimore County, Maryland, in, in a place called Metro Center, Owing Mills. And, you know, we've been talking about why there's value to these and and how, how to make them work. If, you know, I, people listening, let's say they're in a downtown community that, you know, has historic buildings and perhaps some some potential for infill and good transit around it. What is it that gets a developer interested? What kind of incentives need to be in place? I mean, I think a lot of people are like, oh, this would be great. We have, you know, uh, you know, a train station or we have, you know, a commuter rail or something like that. We've got, you know, vacant lots in, in our historic downtown that were, you know, torn down for parking or something like that. We think there's a higher and better use to that. How do you get developers interested in what makes it possible to kind of do this sort of work? Yeah, so, so number one, you know, I know people, you know, you know, immediately don't like to hear it, but you need some type of, you know, tax uh, incentive or a TIF, so-called. So, you know, number one, a TIF is used for a lot of the infrastructure improvements. So, for example, you know, like you said, for, you know, certain parts where you have historical buildings or, you know, buildings that are old and you want to repurpose them and create these, you know, uh, TODs or mixed-use centers downtown, a lot of times you need to fix the infrastructure. You need to get the infrastructure ready to be able to then go build this type of project. So, you know, between a TIF, which is the money from taxes to just do the infrastructure or an actual tax incentive, which goes to the developer so they can be able to go build the type of buildings that they can reach the density that they need in terms of, you know, residential units or the density in terms of square footage for retail and office. Because, you know, as you know, building these buildings, it isn't cheap and, and, and it's not cheap, not necessarily for us, but what we're doing is we're trying to bring, you know, a development in an area, you know, more populated, which then in turn helps, you know, the economy and helps, you know, everything around it. And you know, I always say, you know, to people that we talk to, you know, with Metro Center and TOD is that you're 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 really solving so many issues when you're helping out, you know, these projects. You know, from number one, the dependence on driving, right? By putting so much different types of mix of uh, uses into a community 
you don't have to leave that community. So you're reducing the drive. And then you're allowing, you know, residents and new residents of that community a place to live, work, play, shop in the same place without having to leave, you know. And then obviously we're, you know, reducing, you know, the carbon footprint and, you know, by hoping that they stay in the community, live, work and play, you know. So there's so many things why those tax incentives and TIFs are so important because you're not just helping the developer, you're helping the eventual amazing residents and population of this community. So if that's the case, why are they so hard to do? I think because it's it's a mix of getting, you know, obviously, you know, politicians on board. It's getting the actual, you know, residents on board in these communities. And it's 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 a it's a sway, you know, you know, some some residents think of the developers and they think of, oh, you're trying to fit this much density and build all these build, big, big buildings in one area. You know, they think that's bad. But then, you know, it's educating them on kind of what I just went through of saying, no, we're actually trying to help the community area by building a smart development such as a TOD, which has all these amazing benefits, not only for the new residents, but all the residents surrounding it. You know, we always say to people with, especially with Metro Center and Owings Mills, you know, look at, look at Owings Mills, you know, 10 years ago, what it is today is completely different. And yes, there's been other developments, but we do think that because we're building out a TOD, it really is the big driver of why investment, why businesses, why new residents want to come to Owings Mills, because they see it as this one center city, you know, TOD, where they can live, work and play in the same area without having to drive everywhere without having, you know, to, to go to many different uh, places. So it, it, it's, I think a lot of it's just an education, you know, kind of why we're here today. It's just really educating people on why it's so important to do investment from, you know, the state, the state and county level in these projects, because they really are these smart growth, you know, unbelievable, highly dense, highly density uh, developments. And I think it's interesting too. I mean, I, I, you know, there's, we have a diverse audience and a lot of people who look at, you know, the work through the lens of preservation in historic downtowns and historic communities or historic landscapes. And although this is slightly, like I said at the beginning, a skew of that kind of, you know, standard conversation, it's important. It's a, it's a part of the, the broader picture here in that, um, you know, when we don't sprawl out, when we kind of build in existing mm-hmm. places. I mean, the place that you're building right now, this is previously developed, right? I mean, for people kind of painting the picture of this place, this is not farm fields. This is, you know, there no, was the, already these, these sort of were actually there. parking lots. They were they were parking lots, park and ride that were literally these massive parking lots over, you know, 35, 40 acres and they were just paved. And so, you know, we looked at it and the state looked at it and the county looked at it and it was an opportunity to say, "Hey, we have all this all this density potential right here. You know, let's take advantage of it rather than go out to open land where, you know, they were just going to redevelop it. So we actually, you know, kept the development inside rather than going outside. Right. And I think that that's kind of the big takeaway there. You know, go ahead. Yeah, definitely. And to your point, you know, I mean, not it really hasn't happened much in Baltimore and has not, you know, happened in Maryland. I think, but I know in a couple areas in the country, you know, in some cities where they've done these TODs inside of cities, what they've done is they've done really interesting things with partnering with the cities and and basically building in certain, you know, whether it's a fire department in the building, 
whether it was a historical building, keeping some of the historical building elements on the outside and building in it and on top of it, right? So there's ways to, you know, be smart about how you do these things. It's just how creative can both sides get? You know, how how creative can government get and how creative can the developer get? You know, and I think that's, you know, really a one one way to get, you know, more of these things built is just having two sides that want to be creative and, you know, want to just find the best way to do it, which a lot of the times, you know, it's one way or this way. It's like, no, for these TODs and to reach the density and to reach the goal of what, you know, they're supposed to solve, you really need to be creative on both sides. And that's something that we really do pride ourselves on, you know, with our Metro Center project. It's constantly evolving, right? You constantly have to look at the trends. You constantly have to look at what's working. You constantly have to see, okay, this is what we want to do next. This is how we're going to do it next. Do we have to change it from what we originally planned? And we're doing that now. And, you know, we're hoping, you know, that our partner in the county and the state, you know, understand that, you know, you have to be creative and you have to get through some of the challenges or else you don't have these TODs. Right. And I was going to ask, you know, as we kind of come to a conclusion here, I I was curious if, you know, when people are looking at this kind of happening and they're like, well, I want to see more of this in my community or I want to see this kind of infill in our downtown or I want to see, you know, this rather than sprawling out. Would you say it's more challenging than just your standard kind of sprawl, build it out, you know, take a flat piece of ground, do it? Is it is it a, is it a lot more challenging to get this kind of stuff done? And is that one of the other barriers that it's just still simpler to go the other route? It definitely is. And I'll give you I'll give you a, a simple uh, example. I think that, you know, if you go to a city and you say, hey, here's this one block, you know, I want to go build an apartment building. It's very simple. You go build just an apartment building, right? You don't have to plan for five, 10 years into the future. When you're talking about a TOD, you can't build TODs in a year or in two years. These are 5, 10, 15, if not longer year projects that you as a developer have to go and really plan out the entire thing. You don't have to do ex- exactly everything that you plan out, but you have to come up with the best you know, density case scenario. And then as you go and start that, that's when you get creative. And you go, okay, are the trends in multifamily? Are the trends in office? You know, And you build more of what you can be successful with and what the community is or what the market is saying. And so that's why it really is just a lot harder because you need somebody who can really see a vision, right? See the vision and not only put it on paper and, you know, get the pretty pictures of all the buildings, but you need somebody who can take that vision and make it a reality. And that and that's where I think a lot of the challenge is that once people start going down that road, they eventually fall right back to you know what, it's easy just to go build a 200 you know, unit apartment building and maybe a small office building. And then so right away, you lose all that density and you lose everything you know, that a mixed-use TOD can bring to that area. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, you know, as an organization here at Preservation Maryland that runs PreserveCast, we also have a program called Smart Growth Maryland that focuses on trying to put policies and incentives in place that make this kind of work simpler. Um, and, you know, I think... One of the things that smart growth across the country has done a good job of is, you know, we preserve a lot of farms. We draw the line on sprawl, Mm -hmm. but making this kind of work simpler, we don't always do a really good job of that, right? It's easier to say no to development than it is to put incentives in place that allow good development to happen. And so I think that that is one of the takeaways. And I'm curious, like, you know, you talked about TIFs, tax increment financing. Are there other things that, 
you know, what's your laundry list of things that you wish take just Metro Center out of it that you would, you know, that that you'd like to see? Is it expedited permitting for TODs? Is it what is it that would make this work simpler and allow us to see more of it happen? Well, I, th- I think I think for for I mean, number one, I think it's 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 honestly the investment in the transit system. You know, I think that you know when you look at state state and county governments, you know, they constantly want to put millions of dollars, you know, into smart growth and into you know improved ridership and everything that goes with these transit systems. But until you can truly make them efficient, you can make them clean and you can make them safe. You know, these projects do have you know also trouble getting out because of it. It's not just because of the development, right? If right. the Metro, if the Metro in Baltimore County and Baltimore City had 30,000 riders a day, you know, I think we'd have six more of these types of developments, you know? So number one, it's really the investment into the, into the transit systems, into the rail systems, you know? And I think that that's number one right off the bat, you know? And, and that then plays into what TODs are and what they're great for. You know, it takes cars off the road and improves traffic and improves air quality, right? So it's all those things. It really starts with, you know, getting these, getting the transit system up to an efficient, you know, an efficient, I would say, uh, ridership program or whatever. I'm not, I really don't know exactly what to say when it comes to that. It's just. Yeah. But I think that that's an interesting sort of takeaway, particularly, you know, we're having this kind of, uh, left of center, or you know, not left of center, but we're having this sort of uh, conversation, sort of off to the sideline of what a traditional preservationist or historic preservationist mm-hmm. might be thinking about as the as the you know their their work or or what they should be focused on. But it's like if you want to make your communities, you know, you want to make infill and developers interested in doing development in your you know and 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 bringing vibrancy to places and doing the kind of development that we want to see happen. You know, we also have to be advocates for transit, which I don't think a lot of preservationists even really think about. But it's yeah. it's part of that big puzzle. And you know, if we want to see the right projects happen, yeah, 100%. Um, it's, not, it's not just saying no to the bad projects. Yeah, and I think and I think for us, you know, at Metro Center, you know, we were in the middle of it right now because you know, Northwest Baltimore County, where we are, deserves a chair of you know, I would say Baltimore County's investment. You know, right now, you know, there should be a public-private partnership here as they have done around the Beltway, such as in, you know, Hunt Valley, Towson, Sparrows Point, they've all benefited from it. I think now it's time to, you know, help help Northwest Baltimore County and try to get some of that investment, you know, in our development with, which is to this, you know, podcast and what you do, which is, you know, smart growth, which is we have a successful TOD already well built out. Let's keep going and getting it to, you know, where we can build it out fully and give the county what it deserves and give the people what it deserves. So we normally ask what you're working on now. I think we have a good sense of what you're working mm-hmm. on right now. But uh, before we go, do you have a favorite historic place or site or a place that you visited recently? Yeah, so I was in Charleston, South Carolina, and they had a historic jail that was downtown. And it was almost like a castle-like structure. And I just thought it was very interesting how it was an old city jail right in the middle, basically, of now a very you know vibrant part of the city. And, you know, what they've done around it and what it was. So I thought that was really interesting. Well, it's a great place to end the conversation. David, it's been fun talking with you, getting to hear about this and thinking critically about how we can incentivize 
um, the kind of development that a lot of preservationists and conservationists want to see. We're going to grow one way or the other, and it would be good to grow in smart ways. And uh, been interesting uh, picking your brain and hearing a little bit about this from your perspective. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dig deeper into this episode's story, head over to PreserveCast.org for show notes and our collection of previous episodes. Don't forget to engage with this podcast by subscribing, commenting, and leaving a review. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PreserveCast for even more. PreserveCast is currently recorded in Walkersville, Maryland, and sponsored by the 1772 Foundation and powered by Preservation Maryland. Thanks for listening and keep on preserving.